Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 82. I've run across a number of people in my life who say, when I get to the pearly gates, if I do good, the Almighty Eternal One looks at me and He says, well, your good is not good enough. Well, I can understand why people would say the way of Yehovah is not fair. His way is that He wants to give to us and we cannot earn His love, nor can we deserve His love. Welcome once again to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is episode number 82, part 18 in my series of Defining Biblical Love. Let's continue with our detailed look into 1 Corinthians 13, 6, and the statement that Paul wrote about concerning divine giving love. He wrote saying that love does not rejoice in iniquity. On the last program, we left off in explaining why Jehovah does not rejoice in iniquity, which is an old English term that is derived from the Hebrew word avon, in Hebrew, ein vav nun, which comes from the Hebrew two-letter parental root, ein vav. It first shows up in Genesis 4.13 and within the context of Adam and Eve's son, Cain, or Cain, who takes the life of his brother, Havel, in a field. Let's continue where we left off. Anytime that I see the English term iniquity, it is my practice to visualize the Nahash serpent of Genesis 3.1 as he slithers about with movements of motion that can be described as nothing more than distortions and corruptions of his own characteristics, that of being bent, twisted, and perverted. Now, what we are seeing here is essentially the fruit of the serpent's words, growing from the law of sin and death, which is on the fruit of his tree of the knowledge of good but evil. Precisely, this is why Yeshua used one of many metaphors to warn us to beware of those who walk in our midst, looking and acting holy and true, but are in reality quite prepared to eat our lunch or our dinner, or worse, to eat us for lunch or dinner. A fine example of what these kinds of personalities do in our midst is seen in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7-12. through 12. That is, people who do not receive the love of Jehovah so as to be saved. This is what Paul wrote about. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom Jehovah will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is, according to the working of Satan, with all power, 
signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, Elohim will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow, this statement is so jam-packed with stuff. I could probably easily take a, a few podcasts just to address the issues in this one huge statement from 2 Thessalonians 2, 7-12. But lest I become bogged down in too much of the detail here, let me just move on here and get to the point. Now, sadly, it is that these kinds of people pretend to receive Jehovah's love. And they go on to pretend to function as shepherds of Jehovah's sheep. So listen to the word of Jehovah coming from Ezekiel chapter 34. And the word of Jehovah came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says Jehovah Elohim to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all of the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Jehovah. As I live, says Jehovah Elohim, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of Jehovah. Thus says Jehovah Elohim, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. Let's continue reading from Ezekiel chapter 34. For thus says Jehovah Elohim, Indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, 
So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in the inhabited places of the country or the land. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says Jehovah Elohim. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Now let's skip all the way to the last part of that chapter in Ezekiel 34, and let's focus on verses 29 through 31. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles or the Goyim any more. Thus they shall know that I am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, says Jehovah Elohim. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are man, and I am your Elohim, says Jehovah Elohim. Let us now consider all of this in light of 1 Corinthians 13.6, that Jehovah does not rejoice in iniquity, that is, in a living soul or a thing that is bent, twisted, perverted, and corrupted, but rather he rejoices in the truth that he represents. Accordingly, we can know without question that our shepherd and master of heaven and the highest heavens never rejoices in, nor will he ever be happy with any kind of bending, twisting, and corrupting of his eternal truth. Furthermore, he is never happy if a living soul of iniquity, meaning one who is unredeemed, that this living soul would choose destruction and ultimately choose to be cast into the fires of the second death, as it's recorded in Genesis 2.17, a concept that Yeshua spoke about in Matthew 13.30. Here's what he said, And at that time, referring to the final harvest on the last day, the day of judgment, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. This burning place is referred to in Hebrew as Gehinom, or a place of the burning fires of Jerusalem. The English term that is borrowed from Greek is hell. Yeshua was quite clear concerning that place 
as it is further written about in Matthew 10.28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Or, in Hebrew, this would be to destroy both soul and body in Gehinom, that is, the valley of Hinom, where all the ancient fires of Jerusalem were said to be burning to the deity that was called Molech in Jeremiah chapter 2. I would say that overall, it is bad enough that there is so much suffering and pain in this world from the deluge of bending and twisting of the truth, as it's recorded for us from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Clearly, there is a much worse condition awaiting the souls of the world with their unredeemed, bent, twisted, and corrupted souls. But it is important to note that Jehovah is not one to rejoice in what these souls choose for their eternal destiny, precisely as he expressed it in Ezekiel 18.32, which is then reflected in the words of Yeshua in John 3.17-19. Let's take a look at both of these passages. Ezekiel 18.32, Yehovah says, For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says Jehovah Elohim. Therefore, turn and live. And then Yeshua picks up on this in John 3, 17 through 19, saying, For Elohim did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten or the unique Son of Ha-Elohim, the unique Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Why were they evil? Because the deeds of man are coming from their bentness and their twistedness and corruptedness, which is from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, in Genesis chapter 3. So, we might once again pose the statement as Paul does, saying that, Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Again, from the Hebrew word avon, meaning a nature that is bent, twisted, and corrupted. Neither are we to be happy about it. That's right. We're not to be happy that people choose this path to go into the fires of Gehinom. They're choosing it, not Jehovah. It's not Jehovah's will that they go into these fires of Gehinom. Rather, there is a certain truth that we can rely upon as the character and nature of Jehovah 
exactly as Paul went on to say in the second half of his writing from 1 Corinthians 13, 6. He says, but he, referring to Jehovah, rejoices in the truth. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because now I want to ask the question, what is truth? It's something that Pilatus, or Pilate, asked Yeshua in John 18, 38. You see, the truth is not some lifeless thing or some kind of vague idea of cultural relativity based on someone's definition of life and culture. No, the truth is a living, breathing, eternal person, as he is written about for us in John 14, 6 and in John 8, 31 through 32. But first, before we go there, let's take a look at Zechariah or Zechariah 8, verse 19. I'll read it for you in Hebrew, and then I'll bring it over to you as I would understand it in English. First, the Hebrew, Vaha'emet, Vaha'elohim, Ehavu. As I would understand it, therefore, the truth and the shalom, him you will love, all of you. I understand it precisely this way because both of these words, emet and shalom, are prefixed with a definite article in the Hebrew, and then ehevu is in an imperative command form, which can therefore be understood as, and you will love him, all of you, you will love him. Now go to John 14, 6. Yeshua said to him, referring to Philip, who asks the question about who he is, Yeshua responds and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John 8, 31 through 32, then Yeshua said to those Yehudim or Jews who believed him, If you abide in the word, that is to me, or if you live in the word that is unto me. That could be understood as my word or the word that is unto me from Hebrew. Then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When Jehovah speaks of the truth, and I'm using this in a very specific way with a definite article, not just some vague sense of truth in our natural world, but the truth who is a person, not just some vague idea of cultural relativity, okay? So when Jehovah speaks of the truth, he is also speaking of the justice, since they both go together. However, in the reality shades of this world, if we fall victim to gross criminal injustice, then, in my opinion, we should not necessarily seek a legal remedy by looking to our world's so-called courts of justice in order to produce the truth. In doing so, I know from experience that we shall be sadly disappointed. 
Why? Because the whole world's system of justice and truth is built on the foundation stones of a lower earthly darkness that has a tendency to trick the world into thinking that this truth is light, because in reality, this cover-up to make darkness look like light is from the serpent of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. In the seeking of a legal remedy for wrongs that are committed against us, we can expect to come up against a bloodletting war. I know it from experience, and perhaps some of you also know it from experience. Because here is Yeshua's statement about it when he said in Matthew 7, 22, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Paul appears to have echoed the same principle, but using a different expression of it in 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15. Paul writes, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. So this is the idea of comparing the lower earthly wisdom with the eternal heavenly wisdom from above. For then Paul goes on to speak about these false apostles that were sent unto the people that he was dealing with, that he calls them false apostles or false sent ones, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles or sent ones of Messiah. Then he says, and no wonder, for Satan, Nahash himself, transforms himself into a messenger of light. Therefore, Paul says, it is of no great thing if his ministers or servants also transform themselves into ministers or servants of justness which is another way of saying servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works or actions. This is a do-it-yourself program of presenting yourself as believing in and functioning in the form of good, because in that sense, unredeemed people make themselves out to be just or good except they do it without Yehovah and without the work of Messiah Yeshua. So once again, we learn that Yehovah does not give his stamp of a happy face or a happy approval if we choose to play in the playground of the Nahash along with his fellowship minions of darkness. Consequently, we can expect to run into numerous corrupt politicians, judges, court clerks, attorneys, and in some cases, the policing structure that works for the system. Again, I ask why? Because of what Yeshua said in Matthew 7, 22, that if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Darkness. 
Now, it is important to note that I am not saying, I repeat, I am not saying that believers in Yeshua who happen to hold working positions in this world's justice system, that all of them are corrupt. Definitely not at all. I know a number of very good people who are believers in Yeshua and are redeemed by the blood of Messiah, and they work in this world's justice system. What I'm getting at, that if you enter into that system and fight them in the midst of their system, you could expect any war for the truth in this world to be a painful, bloodletting war. It will wear you out, and it will probably cost you a small fortune on top of that. Let's take a quick break here on the podcast and come back to the second half in just a moment. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 82. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi ben Mordechai. All right, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Now let's pick up where we left off when Yeshua said in John 8, 31 through 32, if you abide in the word that is to me or the word that is unto me, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Paul rightly addressed the matter for the seeking of the truth in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in Elohim for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Elohim or God, bringing every thought into captivity to the Shema of Messiah and being ready to punish all disobedience when your Shema is filled up to overflowing. Now, the reason I'm using the Hebrew word Shema from Deuteronomy 6.4 is because this is the concept that gives us the English term obedience. So when you're looking at the word obedience in this passage, you can easily and without any problem whatsoever put in the word Shema, the Shema of Messiah. Nonetheless, you can know this for certain. All corruptors of justice and the truth in this world will for sure one day answer to the great judge of heaven and earth. And I'm saying 100% guaranteed they will. But often, if you become a victim of the corrupt justice system that is in the world, I encourage you to not give yourself permission to grow weary in your battles to expose the darkness. And do not suppose that those who love iniquity, meaning those who love to bend and twist the truth, that they will all do so 
or continue to do so with impunity. This is simply untrue. All wrongdoers and those who rejoice in twisting and bending the truth will receive a fair judgment for what they do. Still, many can fully understand how it feels to be wronged and to not have justice in this world. And if you are one of these people that has been victimized by injustice in this world, I want you to know that you have our empathy. Because as I've said, I too have come up against worldly injustice in the fight for truth. But I must say clearly that if we say that they should just rot in hell, well, this is not Jehovah's desire. So I would avoid making a judgment against those kinds of people and say, well, I just hope they go to hell, or I just hope they rot in hell. Now, that's not the appropriate response for us, in my opinion. Rather, we should want them to come to repentance, even as Jehovah wants the same, even for the horrific actions committed by such fallen human souls such as Adolf Hitler and his many murderous henchmen of the Nazi Third Reich. Jehovah will nonetheless met out his justice according to his timing and not according to our timing. So we can let our judgment of these kinds of people go. We can, because Jehovah said to us, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, as it is written in Deuteronomy the volume 32:41. It is written, "If I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me." And he might use any of us in that process. However, it is my understanding that when the vengeance comes, it is going to come in the last day, the great day of Jehovah, or what is called the day of the Lord, by those who use that terminology. That is when the true divine vengeance is going to be executed. So what I am saying is that these kinds of souls that we are talking about, as they have lived in the past or they are living in our present, or perhaps even those who are going to be living towards our future, they will make their choices to do whatever they do. And there is a coming day of judgment for them, but not for us. I don't think so. No, no, no. Why am I saying this? Because we are already redeemed in Yeshua because we have already received the love of the truth. That's the word, that's Messiah, so as to be saved. Sadly, the unredeemed soul cannot benefit from this redemption through Yeshua. And what's the reason for that? Because either they have chosen that path, or they will choose that path, and therefore it will be their choice, not Jehovah's choice, to say, well, I'm just going to get you back and send you to hell. He doesn't work that way. That Gehinom, or hell, 
is where these people are going to end up by their own choosing. It's not Jehovah saying, I just want to get back at you. I'm going to make you pay for it. That's not his character. And this is precisely what Yeshua said in John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the unique Son of Elohim. As we learn from this, condemnation is not Yehovah's end goal. It's not. He desires to give every living soul his gift of faith, compassion, mercy, and no condemnation. As Paul rightly understood, as it is recorded for us in Romans 8, 1-2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Yeshua, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua, that's because of His resurrection, folks, He has made me free from the law of sin and death, and that is coming from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 2, verse 17. So the point is this, it is a living soul and not Yehovah that self-incriminates, leading to a curse of judgment and condemnation. I believe, however, that Yehovah will always always make every effort to confront every soul in this world with the truth in whatever ways that they can grasp and understand. And what they do with that divine confrontation, hey, that's totally up to them. But again, never is condemnation and the destruction of a living soul the end goal of Yehovah. Never. Yehovah's law of love is forever established in and through the truth. That is the Messiah, the Torah. He is a person, not a thing. Therefore, we can say with complete assurance that Yehovah will never, ever rejoice in turning a blind eye towards upholding his established kingdom law that has been given unto us in and through the Word, who is in the Son of Yah, or if you wish, in the Son of God. So, Yehovah's messianic kingdom law, through His Word, is what He is, period. This is the truth of Yehovah, and it's established on one principle as it's expressed through Ezekiel 18, 20 through 31. Let's take a look at this together. Yehovah says, The soul who sins shall die. And this is the iniquity of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. 
the justness of the just, or if you want to say the righteousness of the righteous, shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps and guards my statutes, and does what is lawful, that is, according to the law, the Torah, the truth, and he does what is according to that and what is right, which is an English word that derives from the Hebrew term tzaddik, which is the idea of the just one, I can tell you, he, that one, shall surely live. He shall not die. And this is specifically dealing with the second death, as it's referenced in Genesis 2.17. So Yehovah goes on to say in Ezekiel chapter 18, None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness or the justness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says Yehovah Elohim? Well, that's a real good question. So Yehovah goes on to say, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. So if this person is relying upon a declaration that they are good, that they're just a good person, but it's a goodness that is outside of Messiah and the goodness that he gives to us. If it's outside of that program that Jehovah has set up, then the goodness and the justness is not coming from Jehovah. It's coming from our own efforts, which is derived from our slavery to and in the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. That is, in the tree that is evil but appears to be good. There's a cover-up going on there. So Yehovah goes on to say, because of the unfaithfulness, which is the evil of which he is guilty. That's because of the slavery that all mankind is involved with, because all man is a slave of the law of sin and death in the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. It's the unfaithfulness of this evil and the sin which he has committed. Because of them, Jehovah says, he will die, because his law says he will die, according to Genesis 2, 17. In dying, you will die. That is how the Hebrew translates to English. And then Jehovah closes his statement and says, but you say the way of Jehovah is not fair. Well, I can understand that. I've run across a number of people in my life who say, that's just not fair. And when I get to the pearly gates, if I do good, the Almighty Eternal One looks at me and he says, well, your good is not good enough. Well, I can understand why people would say the way of Jehovah is not fair. But remember, it is Jehovah who says, my ways are not your ways in Isaiah chapter 55. They're not. His way is that he wants to give to us, and we cannot earn his love, nor can we deserve his love. 
So he goes on to say in Ezekiel chapter 18, Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair? When a just man turns away from his justness, referring to the Messiah's justness in him, if he turns away from it and commits iniquity, meaning he goes back to his old ways of bentness and twistedness from the garden situation that Adam and Eve brought upon the world. When we go back to that, and people do, and then that person dies in that condition, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Do you get the point? It is because of the bentness and the twistedness and corruption and perversion of Genesis 3.22. That's why the Genesis 2.17 curse comes upon that person. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, meaning of the Torah and of the tzaddik, the right or just one, meaning Messiah, what's going to happen then? It says he preserves himself alive in the resurrection of the last day, nor will he end up in the lake of fire from the book of Revelation. So Jehovah then says, because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall certainly live, he shall not die. And that, again, is referencing that idea of skirting the second death. Yet the house of Israel says, well, the way of Jehovah is not fair. So they're saying it again. Oh, house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Why does he say that? Because when he says, my ways which are fair, it's because this is a free gift. That's why it's fair. It's a good deal, and I would take it, because our ways lead unto the second death. That's a bad deal for us, and he wants to give us a good deal. So he says, choose my ways, because they are the fair way, as opposed to your ways, which are not the fair way. Therefore, Jehovah says, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, meaning which way did you choose? Did you choose the tree of life, the Etzachayim, or did you choose the Etzadah Tovirah, the tree of the knowledge of good but evil? That's what Jehovah Elohim is saying here. So he says, repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin or your destruction. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. And how is that done? That is done by what we receive freely from Him. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. So then the whole section of Ezekiel 18 is reposited for us, and it's a good question, for why should you die, O house of Israel? 
because Jehovah has made it possible. That's why. And then he says, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. You see the two deaths there? I have no pleasure in the death. That's the spiritual second death of the one who dies, meaning the physical first death. And all of us have to go through that. We just have to. That's part of the curse. Thus says Jehovah Elohim. So he reminds us once again, therefore turn and live. So we learn from 1 Corinthians 13, 6, that Jehovah is not content to just simply accept the bending and twisting of the voice of the truth. Take a look at John chapter 10 for that information. Because of and through the actions of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. These are actions that changed the light of this world into a world of darkness, but that there is already a remedy available to each one of us, which is what Moses was careful to write about in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. And so, precisely, I can understand why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, that the love that first comes from above does not rejoice in iniquity, because it cannot rejoice in iniquity. Therefore, the All-Eternal One provides a way of escape for each one of us by giving us His righteousness instead of demanding that we come to Him with our own justness or our own righteousness. And this is precisely what Paul writes about in Romans 3, 20-26. Therefore, by the actions of the law, this is coming from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil in Genesis chapter 2. So, by the deeds of the stuff that comes off of that tree, of which all of us, when we are born into this world, we inherit that stuff. If we're doing that stuff, we will not be justified or righteous in His sight. For by the law, meaning the law of sin and death in that tree of the knowledge of good but evil, through that is the knowledge meaning the experiential knowledge of why we live the way we live. But now, the justness or the righteousness of God or Elohim, which was planted right next to the law of the tree of life, the Yetzirah in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, the justness or righteousness of God is being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning the word so that we're identifying with His death and His resurrection, which is all then imparted into us, as He says, on all who believe. Therefore, He says, all fall short of the glory of God, the perfection of the All-Eternal One. So if somebody says, I'm just going to die and go to heaven because, you know, I was a, a good person— well, that's impossible unless one can say, I was 100% perfect and never, ever did I make one mistake in my life. Therefore, he says, 
we are justified or made righteous freely by His grace because it's a gift through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua, whom Elohim sent forth as a propitiation or a covering by or in His blood through this faith that we're exercising to demonstrate His justness because in His forbearance, meaning His clemency for us, Elohim has passed over the sins that were previously committed. What's he referring to? He's talking about the Garden of Eden sin that is referenced in Genesis 3.6. And through his actions, he is demonstrating at this present time, before the last day resurrection, that his justness is ready to be given to us freely if we will receive it. That's why Paul is saying that we, therefore, can be just or righteous, but it's through Messiah Yeshua, who is the justifier or the one who makes righteous, that Messiah's work will be imparted unto us through his death and resurrection. Now, I'm out of time on this podcast, but I'm going to continue dealing with the second half of this statement in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, where Paul speaks about rejoicing in the truth, because it's rejoicing in the truth that Jehovah loves. And in the meantime, I say to you, have a great week. The website address is www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. We'll come back to Rejoice in the Truth. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Real Israel Talk Radio.